Welcome to the Better Buildings podcast, Canada's conversation about opportunities for improvement in the built environment. Hello and welcome back to the Better Buildings podcast. Today we are speaking with Kent Peterson, VP and COO of the engineering firm P2S and chair of ASHRAE's Building Decarbonization Task Force. We are catching up with him shortly after the AHR Expo in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Kent. Thank you, Peter. Can you tell us a little about your background, your history with ASHRAE, and how you came to chair the task force on building decarbonization? Absolutely. Um, Peter, first, let me say I'm honored to join you and your listeners today. I've been a consulting engineer in the building and infrastructure industry my entire career, which is about 40 years now. My identical twin brother, uh, Kevin, and I founded P2S in 1991, and it's grown to a 300-person consulting engineering firm on the west coast of the United States. I'm lucky to work with a lot of passionate engineers uh, who really care about the environmental impact of our building solutions and the types of engineering products that we end up providing. I joined ASHRAE as a student member. Um, back when I was going to the university, been fortunate to be able to donate an extensive amount of time in my career because I've seen how important it is to give back to our industry, to help advance the industry. I served as the Ashtray Society president in 2007, 2008, so I guess it's been about 15 years ago. My theme was back then was greater efficiency today, blue skies tomorrow. Uh, this last year, we formed the, the Building Decarbonization Task Force. I was a member on that task force. At the same time, I was serving as the U.S. federal government Green Building Advisory Committee's uh, co-chair of the Federal Building Decarbonization Task Force for the United States. And so I kind of had my hands full on a lot of things. And I since have rolled off at the end of 2022 on that federal committee because I turned out. And so I was asked to actually take over and chair the ASHRAE Task Force. Building Decarbonization Task Force. And I have the honor to work with a, a lot of great thought leaders on the subject matter in this, and we're really moving very quickly. Now, ASHRAE obviously has its roots as specifically an American organization. That's what the A is for. Uh, but, you know, it's expanded so much uh, internationally. When you're on a decarbonization task force and you're making recommendations, those recommendations are going to be seen by members all over the world. Are there differences then between those roles that you've held uh, advising on a national basis in the U.S. versus uh, contributing to a task force who uh, whose work will be read around the world? It, there is there's definitely differences. And, you know, ASHRAE has, as you mentioned, I mean, we have members in 130 countries. We have chapters in over 100 countries. And, and what we see is, is the way we design, we construct, how we operate buildings is different in different geographic regions around the world. And some of it can be tied to, you know, developed countries are doing it a certain way, developing countries are doing it a different way. Sometimes it's the local resources that go into the buildings themselves. But from an ASHRAE perspective, we're looking at this as a task force. The first step was try and come up with what the North American way is. And then, because we sat down and said, we can't do guides for the entire world as one guide. And then let's go ahead and get these guides out to certain geographic regions that ASHRAE serves and have those guides tailored after we have the, the body of knowledge together for certain guides on what the practices are, then we can tailor it to certain regions and produce guides that are specific to those regions. So there's definitely a difference between what happens in one country, what's happening in their electric grids, um, what their primary source of energy, I mean, everything, everything is different. It has to be tailored. So how would you summarize ASHRAE's position document on building decarbonization with that international scope in mind? 
Well, it's a very good question because, you know, first of all, I'll say ASHRAE really started to tackle this heavily after COVID. And maybe I would say maybe we were a little late, even though I was president 15 years ago, we were still talking about climate change and the issues of how important energy efficiency was to reducing carbon emissions. But when I say, you know, tackle it seriously, everyone was making a lot of uh, goals and commitments for the future in the last decade. This decade, what we're seeing the whole building industry, owners and everyone starting to say, well, how do we act? Now's the time for action. So where do we start? And, and our members are asking us, what do we do? And it was important that ASHRAE coalesce around a position document that the board could approve and say, this is officially ASHRAE's position. Um, and it's pretty simple. Eliminating greenhouse gas emissions from the built environment is essential to eliminating climate change. I mean, that we have to do this. And we've, we've even bought onto goals by 2030, you know, we're targeting all new buildings have to be net zero greenhouse gas emissions in operation. We've got to really start attacking embodied carbon in buildings and see if we can get 40% reduction in body carbon by 2030. So we're attacking this on the whole life carbon basis. It's not just operational carbon, but embodied carbon go into everything. And then the decisions that we're doing in terms of our training and education programs that are coming out. And, and ultimately by 2050, we want the whole building sector to be net zero emissions. So that addresses all existing buildings of what needs to happen in the existing building, which is a pretty heavy lift out there. Now, as a technical organization that does more than just energy, I mean, obviously we're concerned about the built environment. We do IAQ standards and other things. And, and certainly none, building decarbonization is just another goal. And any of the strategies and policies really have to consider that we still need healthy, safe and comfortable environments. And that's the most important. We don't build buildings to save energy or, or reduce carbon. We build them to serve a purpose, and that purpose is the number one priority to do this. So responsible decarbonization is what we're all about and trying to educate our members and others out there on how to do that. So when you're speaking to consulting engineers handling HVAC projects and they're asking, as you mentioned, what actions can we take now? What do you tell them? Depends on the type of building they're really looking at. Um, you know, new buildings and existing buildings are very different from each other. But we're, what we're seeing is integrated solutions are by far the best. And, you know, when we talk about Canada versus the United States, Canada's, I mean, the beauty of it is on the electric grid side that you get a lot of energy from hydro. And so your, your carbon intensity is one of the lowest that are out there in the world. I mean, there are some that are almost zero, but Canada, when we, I compare it to some of the, what I, you know, call the European Union or the United States or even, I mean, we could say China, China's doing, a, China might have a high carbon intensity right now, but they've actually seen some of the biggest reductions of some, most of the countries I look at, because they're also deploying the most low carbon resources that are out there. But you have the benefit of really having a low electric grid, low carbon intensity on the electric grid. And when I, when I talk to HVAC engineers, the first thing is, is we're trying to educate everyone what this issue really means. If we, if we can think globally and act locally, because this is a global issue we're trying to address. And don't, don't think locally and act locally, because too often sometimes that leads to what I call maybe the wrong decisions. And you know, it's even interesting to understand, you know, we were talking about buildings, but buildings get most of their carbon emissions from the electric grid. And so when we talk about electric grids, let's just talk North America. Canada, United States, and Mexico are all connected together in one interconnected grid. And, you know, a kilowatt saved in Canada is a kilowatt that could be used in the United States or being used in Mexico. Or, and so 
you know, we shouldn't be making, you know, I would say rash decisions like using electric resistance heat when we have heat pump technologies that could help reduce that substantially and, and make it, you know, 200% more efficient than electric resistance heat, sometimes even 300% more efficient if we're talking about ground source systems. We need to in, in embody, I think, the true essence of engineering is, is trying to use the least resources possible to accomplish the goals. And, and if we do that, I think we're going to end up with better solutions overall. Yeah, because some of what you've um, mentioned is a little bit outside the purview of the engineers themselves. If we're talking about greening the electrical grid, you know, whether that becomes Hydro-Quebec selling more electricity into New York State, that's not a decision being made by the members of ASHRAE. What they can do is say, okay, now because of this, this trend is happening, maybe we need to do more electrification of the systems we use. Is that kind of where you're going with that? That's exactly. I mean, the, we we need to think a little bit outside the box that we actually design most of the time and realize that when we look at carbon emissions globally from the building sector, two thirds of those carbon emissions are coming from the electric grid. So if, if we're just blindly saying, well, the electric grid will end up getting to zero and then that's how our, that's our strategy. And so we should just electrify the other one third. I, I think we need to understand that efficiency is number one in the loading order. And ASHRAE and our position document was very clear. Efficiency is number one in the order, loading order. And we're not alone in that. The International Energy Agency says almost 37% of the decarbonization is going to occur through energy efficiency strategies. Um, otherwise, we use a lot of resources. We can generate a lot more electricity. And, and even if we generate it at zero carbon, it's not necessarily going to be the best solution for what the current grid capacities are that are out there in the world. So we're discussing electrification and efficiency. That seems to address uh, my next question, which was going to be, you know, are there any challenges specific to decarbonization, uh, decarbonization of buildings in Canada's cold climate? Uh, both of those routes would have an effect, uh, again, so long as the, the grid itself is being green further. But do you see any other challenges in the Canadian space that you might not in the U.S.? I don't I don't see a lot of challenges we don't see in parts of the US. And that the reason is is I mean I even have I have a cabin up in the Rockies and I we get about as cold as you can get. I mean, um, below minus 30 degrees Celsius often in the wintertime. So so I mean there you look at the United States, there's a lot of different climate zones that are out there. Definitely Canada has a very I mean, when we talk cold climates, cold climates have unique challenges. And, and even when I look at cold climates, there's cold climates, there's very cold climates, and then there's very, very cold climates. And you have to remember, the United States also has Alaska. So we're, we're, we are even, even north of some of the areas. Um, but if I was to think about the, the unique challenges, heating demand. Um, there's definitely, when you're in a cold climate, you have a lot more heating demand than what you deal with in, in the warm climate. So things like air source heat pump solutions, have more challenges. Uh, right now, at least with the US Department of Energy, we're now down to roughly about minus uh, 30 degrees Celsius on what the heat pump capability is from air source heat pumps, meaning we're still pulling heat out of the air at minus 30 degrees Celsius. So they're working on these types of technologies to make them more, more viable. Whereas in the past, we would have to go to some type of ground source technology in order to make that happen if you were gonna try and implement heat pumps. The other thing, whenever we see you know very cold climates is, is there's nothing wrong with hybrid systems in very cold climates. And when I say hybrid, maybe it's a mix of natural gas with the heat pump system. The heat pump system could offset you know, 80% of the annual carbon emissions, but we have the natural gas system to back you up when it gets extremely cold or, we, or even we're for grid resilience if we lose the electric grid in a bad storm or something. Um, in the long run, I mean, 
safety, as I said before, health and safety is probably the most important thing that we do. And we can do these type of things. Building envelopes become extremely important too when we're in very cold climates. And then probably the last thing I would say is energy storage. Um, when we get farther north in Canada, you're gonna get less daylight when you're in your winter uh, timeframes. And so when you're trying to integrate things like renewable energy sources, uh, you might not have that amount of renewable energy. So whether we're in, implementing some type of battery or thermal storage system, it can really help store some of that excess energy during the day and use it at night. You discussed some elements of a building that get a little bit away from HVAC systems themselves. Is this uh, something that HVAC engineers can address with other members of the construction team? I'm thinking, for instance, of you mentioned building envelopes. Uh, I know that there was a, um, a daycare being planned in Toronto, I think the largest daycare in the entire city, where the building envelope, the idea was to make it so strong that, uh, speaking of not so much decarbonization, but even just sort of resilience, if there were a power outage in the middle of winter, it would still be a warm, safe space for the children there. That's not really necessarily the HVAC you know, um, engineer's call, but certainly something that benefits uh, both of their goals. Uh, how do you sort of see that discussion taking place? I guess I, we look at it differently. So we, I mean, at ASHRAE, it's not, we're, we don't really look at ASHRAE as being HVAC. Okay. And some people might look at it that way, but but we have, you know, we have building owners, we have building operators, we have even electrical people that are involved in ASHRAE. A strong, you know, correlation between uh, what we're trying to do is provide, you know, safe, resilient, built environments that meet the needs of what the occupants have in those spaces. And, and it is our job to implement work, I mean, to work with the integrated design team and all the other disciplines that are involved to provide, you know, passive strategies that, that provide that resilience if I do lose the grid, to understand, you know, that it's not, everything's not just about decarbonization. It's about meeting all of these requirements for building a sustainable building. Certainly, I can see how ASHRAE as an organization over the years has expanded beyond its original, you know, just the suggestion of its name and hits above its weight, for sure. Um, not just, you know, nationally, but also internationally. Do you find there are any certain types of buildings that really present the strongest opportunities for reducing the related emissions? I do. I mean, there's no question in my mind that existing buildings have the strongest potential. So I, I know you're probably thinking like, is it a hospital building or is it something else? But but when we look at the building stock today, um, we're, we're already, I think, hitting above the belt relative to hitting goals on new building construction. And ASHRAE right now has under development a new guide for, doing, for dealing with hospital buildings. And that's gonna be intended for North American hospitals on how do we decarbonize hospital buildings. And that, I consider that kind of a heavy lift as far as a market sector because they use so much energy on a per square meter basis. Um, but when we talk about the existing building market, we know that most of the existing buildings out there do not work to their potential. And even when, I mean, we've had a problem in our industry in the past where, where we commission buildings that are high performing, they're certified, and three years later, they are using 20% more energy than when they were certified. I mean, it's just, we, we've had this challenge in the past and there's a lot of opportunity to go into existing buildings and, and get some early wins. Um, things just like retro commissioning, uh, monitoring base commissioning, uh, going in and, and verifying that things are turning off when things are supposed to turn off are really simple wins that have extremely quick paybacks if building owners can do those type of things. And so I think that, you know, if we can do that, and we can get the efficiency improvements, 
then you now have a potential where you can go in and say, as a building owner, what's my strategy to get to zero carbon? And if that strategy is not something that has to be accomplished in a year or five years, it's something that has to be accomplished over the next two decades, in my opinion. And if I know what that is, it means when I get to my end of life on this piece of equipment, I know my overall strategy and how it fits in. That I've done my efficiency things, I can reduce that with something that might be 60% of the size of the current equipment. I can make it a more uh, economic investment that has a better payback and coming to what the overall solution set is. And what, whatever we can do in existing buildings, I think we're going to see the most significant improvement. It's not going to be in the new buildings in North America. Now, new building is going to be a big thing in the global south. There's no question. A lot of the new construction that we're being forecasted is going to be south of the equator. Um, and there's, but right now, you know, most good design teams and con contractors, if we're given a goal to design a, a net zero operational carbon building, we can do it. Most most type of facilities today, we've shown that that's very possible. Getting into those existing buildings is where it starts to get a lot more challenging. At the AHR Expo, what kind of uh, feedback and reception did you uh, receive? Well, so, so I'll, I'll talk about the Expo and the ASHRAE conference because we have all the technical things. But I think the overriding theme both in the ASHRAE conference and at the Expo was all about decarbonization and innovation and some of the things that are happening out there in the marketplace. I mean, seeing the manufacturers, you know, advancing their technologies on the heat pump side is very exciting. Uh, seeing us trying to address uh, the global warming potential in our refrigerants that we're using and coming up with alternatives on what that might be over the next few years on reducing our, we talk about energy a lot of times in decarbonization, but even our emission from our refrigerants is a big issue that we have to solve and certainly reducing our global warming potential is a big thing too. Um, but you know, overall, I think we know that we don't have all the solution sets today, but right now there's a lot of manufacturers and, and other people that are putting in the R&D and trying to come up with those solutions that are gonna be some of the, the things that are gonna make it easier in the future as we start to get towards this target. Did anything particularly stand out to you at either the conference or the expo as a real sort of, you know, aha moment, a, a, a tool or a project that really kind of, you know, went beyond what you've seen before in terms of decarbonization? You know, it's, it's the interesting thing that I saw at the expo was the nexus of IAQ with decarbonization. So sometimes we get so focused on the energy aspects that we aren't really looking at on you know what's happening on the AAQ side, especially coming out of the epidemic, um, and everyone looking at you know more airflow on, on ventilation rates and things like that, and and this is more on the what I would call the AI controls portion of what's happening in the industry with the low cost of sensors that we're seeing the ability now to use those sensors to better control the building to provide exactly what we need for the indoor quality and reduce the uh, carbon emissions in the building at the same time. And this has become more important as we've gone into a new workforce that is what we call more of a hybrid workforce where a lot of these buildings where we have office buildings are not being used at the same amount of time that they were being used before. Not the same, I mean, there might be half the people in the building when before it was, you know, 80% of the people were in the building. And, and buildings that are responsive to that and using less uh, energy to decarbonize, that's exciting. I think even the ability of AI coming out on the control side to help us solve the problem we've never been able to solve in the past, which is why do we have so many buildings that operate really efficiently when we build them and then don't operate efficiently two years down the road? 
if using AI technology, we can start to put overlay systems or build it into our control systems where they operate more efficiently two years down the road. After they see the building dynamics and how it needs to run, that it can run more efficiently. And those type of things I think are extremely exciting. You know, on the heat pump side, there's all kinds of stuff happening. I mean, even, even I'm a little bit excited about the acoustic heat pumps that a couple of manufacturers have been doing R&D and now have some pilot projects that they've installed um, and when we talk about acoustic heat pumps, we're talking about speakers that are using helium. There's no moving parts. It's using helium and it's actually producing heat in a heat pump. And the exciting thing about it is some, sometimes we come up with these new technologies and they're very expensive. In this case, the new technology is at the same cost or less expensive than a smaller footprint. And so it's that type of innovation, I think, that's, that's going to help us you know, move forward on this side, on the building side. We're going to see innovation, I think, on the energy supply side too. I don't, I don't think we've seen everything that we're capable of doing to get to low carbon energy on the on the supply grid. And that low carbon energy is, you know, it's not just about low carbon; it's about affordable, reliable, and, and energy security. When it comes to that, you mentioned sensors and AI. It certainly sounds like you're discussing how smart building technologies could help building owners basically reach a bunch of different goals decarbonization, uh, but also, uh, as you mentioned, uh, improving IAQ and just the adaptability of the differential um, occupancy numbers, you know, especially following COVID-19 and uh, sort of adapting buildings to uh, to different uses. Um, would you say that that, you know, that sort of that trend, that sort of smart building technology development has kind of paved the way then for a lot of uh, these advances? It has. There's no question. And it, there's there's several things. I mean, with with the advancement of technology, we're seeing also that the, the cost of sensors and sensor suites has come down substantially where it used to be very, you know, if I was to go back 10 years ago, it would have been very expensive for me to put a lot of these sensors in my buildings. Now I can get a sensor suite that might have 10 sensors within the same device on the same microprocessor and put it in the building and it's a fraction of the cost of what it would have cost 10 years ago. And, and the, we now have the number crunching ability to, to really do the types of strategies we wanna do and look at that data and make the proper decisions to run the systems in the buildings. What's the next frontier for your task force? Well, uh, we, we have uh, right now before us, we're on the process of finishing up seven guides that we got approved to be funded by ASHRAE that are decarbonization guides. We have a whole suite of education and training products that are gonna be coming out. Um, we're also in the process of looking at potential, um, oh, we also, sorry, I mean, on the website, we did put a new website together, which is ashray.org, decarb. A lot of resources there. We'll be posting resources every month on that website to try and get to the community out there. And then we're planning on meeting in another month here to do a two-day planning session again with the executive committee of our decarbonization task force, taking all the input that we've had. And we've, we've actually gone to other people around the world and been meeting with other organizations and saying, this is what we're doing. What are you doing? How can we work together? What does the industry needs? And, and look forward on what other types of tools and things that we can start to put forward in the future. We already have the other stuff in the execution popper. So it's strategy mixed with execution, I think is the most successful way that ASHRAE can really make a difference. You mentioned, uh, you know, as an example of a cold climate, Alaska. I know ASHRAE is going to have a conference very soon up there. Will the task force be part of that, the cold climate HVAC conference? The task force is not part of it, but the ASHRAE leadership is definitely part of it. I know two of our three senior leaders will be attending that conference, and that's next week. 
up in Alaska, yes. Excellent. So we'll be watching the results of uh, some of the reports coming in the future from ASHRAE um, that are applicable to Canada, for sure. Thank you very much for your time today, Kent. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. It was a pleasure to join you today.